6. To strike back northeast, through Persia and the Pamir, the Kashgar district and the Gobi steppes, to Cathay and the pleasure domes of Kublai, visiting Karakoram and the Altai country on the way. By a turn due north, in 1275 they were in Shantu, the Xanadu of Kolrich the summer capital of Kublai Khan and not till 1292 did they get leave to turn their faces to the west once more. Footnote 25, in Xanadu did Kublai Khan a stately pleasure dome decree, where Alf, the sacred river, ran, through caverns measureless to man, down to a sacred sea. Kolrich, Kublai Khan, here the Polos became what may be called consulting engineers to the Mongol court, Marka was even made in 1277 a commissioner of the Imperial Council, and soon after sent upon government missions to Yunnan in extreme southwest China and to Yanzhou City. The greater part of Marko's own memoirs is taken up with his account of the 34 provinces of the Tartar Empire that centered round the six parts of Cathay and the nine parts of Mangi, the districts of northern and southern China as we know them. An account of the roads, rivers, and towns, the trade, the court and the imperial ports, the customs and manner of life among the subject peoples in that empire, perhaps the largest ever known. Especially do the travelers dwell on the public roads from Pekin or Kambalik through all the provinces, the 10,000 royal inns upon the highways, the 200,000 horses kept for the public service, the wonderful speed of transit in the Great Khan's embassages, so that they could go from Pekin to the Wall of China in two days. But scarcely less is said about the great rivers the arteries of Chinese commerce, even more than the caravan routes. Above all, the Yangtze Kiang, the greatest stream in the world, like an arm of the sea, flowing above 100 days journey from its source into the ocean, and into which flow countless others, making it so great that incredible quantities of merchandise are brought by this river, it flows, exclaims Marco, through 16 provinces, past the keys of 200 cities, that one of which I saw at one time 5,000 vessels, and there are other marts that had more. The breadth and depth and length and merchandise of the Pulisangan and the Karamaran are only less than the Kiangs, from the point where Marco crossed the second of these. There was not another bridge till it reached the ocean, hundreds of miles away, by reason of its exceeding greatness. Lastly Pekin, the capital of the empire, with Quincy and the other provincial capitals of Mangi and Cathay, call out the unbounded admiration of the Polos as of every other western traveler. From the Muslim Ibn Battuta to the Christian friars of the 14th century, Pekin, today's journey from the ocean, the residence of the court in December, January, and February, in the extreme northeast of Cathay, had been lately rebuilt in a central square of 24 miles in compass, and 12 suburbs, 3 or 4 miles long, adjoining each of the 12 gates, where merchants and strangers lived, each nation with separate purses or storehouses, where they lodged. From the center to the land of Gog and Magog and the Champagne land of Bargu, the Great Khan traveled every year in midsummer for the fresh air of the plateau country of Central Asia, as well as for a better view of the great Russian and Bactrian sub-kingdoms of his house. The six months of spring and autumn were spent in slow progresses through Central and Southern China to Thibet on one side, and to Tonquin on the other, but greater even than Pekin, Quincy, or Kansai, the city of heaven, in Southern China though no longer the capital even of a separate kingdom of Mangi, was the crowning work of Chinese civilization. It surpassed the other cities of Kublai, as much as these overshadowed the Rhone or Venice of the 13th century. In the world there is not its like, for by common report it is 100 miles in circuit, with a lake on one side and a river on the other. 
divided in many channels and upon these and the canals adjoining 12,000 bridges of stone, there are 10 marketplaces, each half a mile square, great storehouses of stone, where the Indian merchants lay by their goods, palaces and gardens on both sides of the main street, which, like all the highways in Mangi, is paved with stone on each side, and in the midst full of gravel, with passages for the water, which keeps it always clean, salt, silk, fruit, precious stones, and cloth of gold are the chief commodities, the paper money of the great Khan is used everywhere, all the people, except a few Nestorians and Moslems, are idolars, so luxurious and so happy that a man would think himself in paradise, it was only in recent years that Kublai, or his general, Bayan, had captured Quincy and driven out the king of Mangi with his seraglio and his friends, the exile till then had only thought of pleasure, of wine, women, and song, the sweet meat which cost him the sour sauce he had heard, on the approach of danger, had fled on board the ships he had prepared to certain impregnable isles in the ocean, and if these impregnable islands may be identified with Zipongo or Japan, the conquerors pursued him even here, there is nothing more interesting in Polo's book than his story of the Mongol failure in the eastern islands, 1500 miles from the coast of Mangi, now first discovered to Christian knowledge, this country of Japan, very great, the people white, of gentle manners, idolars in religion, under a king of their own, was attacked by Kublai's fleet in 1264 for the gold they had, and had in such plenty that, the king's house, windows, and floors were covered with it, as churches here would lead, as was reported by merchants but these were few and the king allowed no exportation of the gold, the expedition was as disastrous a failure as the old Athenian attack upon Sicily, and was not repeated, although fleets were sent by the great Khan after this into the southern seas, which were supposed to have made a discovery of Papua, if not of the Australian continent, in the Sea of China, over against Mangi, Marco reported, from hearsay, of mariners and expert pilots, are 7440 islands, most of them inhabited, whereon grows no tree that yields not a pleasant smell spices, lignum aloes, and pepper, black and white, the ships of Zetun the great Chinese mart former Indian trade knew the sea and its islands, for they go every winter and return every summer, taking a year on the voyage, and all this though it is far from India and not subject to the great Khan, but not only did Polo in these sections of his guidebook or memories of travel, record the main features of a coast and ocean scarcely guessed at by Europeans, and flatly denied by Ptolemy and the main traditional school of Western geography, in his service under Kublai, and in his return by sea to Adnan Suez, he opened up the eight provinces of Thibet, the whole of Southeast Asia from Canton to Bengal, and the great archipelago of further India, four days journey beyond the Yangtze Kiang, Marco entered the wide country of Thibet, vanquished and wasted by the Khan for the space of twenty days' journey, and become a wilderness wanting inhabitants, where wild beasts are excessively increased. Here he tells us of the yak oxen and great Thibet dogs as great as asses, of the musk deer, and spices, and salt lakes having beds of pearls, and of the cruel and bestial idolatry and social customs of the people. Still farther to the southwest, Commissioner Polo came to the Cinnamon River, called Breeze on the borders of the province of Kandu, to the porcelain-making districts of Karazan, governed by Kablai's son, and so to Bengal, which borders upon India, and where Marco laughs at the tattoo customs of flesh embroidery for the dyeing of fool skins, thence back to China, the richest and most famous country of all the East, 
where was peace so absolute that shops could be left open full of wares all night and travelers and strangers could walk day and night through every part, and touched and fearing none, but the polos wearied even of the court favors and their celestial home, they longed to come back to earth, to Franklin and Christendom, where life was so rough, and poor, and struggling, but for whose sake they had come so far and braved so much, but the Khan was hurt at the least hint of their wishes, and it was only a fortunate chance that restored them to Europe. Twenty years after their outward start, they were dismissed for a time and under solemn promise of return, as the guides of an embassy in charge of a Mongol bride for a Persian Khan, living at Tabriz and related to Kublai himself. So, in 1292, they embarked for India at Zaytun, one of the fairest ports in the world, where is so much pepper that what comes by Alexandria to the west is little to it, and, as it were, one of a hundred, then striking across the Gulf of Chinon, for fifteen hundred miles, and passing infinite islands, with gold and much trade, a gulf, seeming in all like another world, they reached Zyombar and, after another run of the same distance, Java, then supposed by mariners to be the greatest island in the world, above three thousand miles round and under a kin who pays tribute to none, the Khan himself not offering to subject it, because of the length and danger of the voyage. 100 miles southeast the fleet touched at Java the less, encompass about 2,000 miles, with abundance of treasure and spices, ebony, and Brazil, and so far to the south that the North Star cannot be seen, and none of the stars of the Great Bear, here they were in great fear of, those brutish man-eaters, with whom they traded for vinyls and campfire and spices and precious stones, being forced to stay for five months by stress of weather till they got away into the Bay of Bengal the extreme point of European knowledge until this time, where there are savages living in the deep sea islands with dogs' heads and teeth, as I was told, all naked, both men and women, and living the life of beasts and demons, sailing hence a thousand miles to the west, adds Marco, is Ceylon, the finest island in the world, 2400 miles in circuit, and once 3600, as is seen in old maps, but the north winds have made great part of its sea again west for sixty miles, to Malabar, which is firm continent in India the greater, and where the Polos re-entered as it were the horizon of western knowledge, at the shrine of St. Thomas, the apostle of India, here we must leave the Venetians, with only a bare mention of their homeward route from Malabar by Murphily and the Valley of Diamonds, by Kimeri, where they had a glimpse of the Pole Star once more, and by Guzera and Cambri to Socotra, where Marco, in his stay, heard and wrote down the first news ever brought to Europe of the Great Isle Madagascar, or Madagascar, and of Zanzibar or Zanzibar. Footnote 27, this new knowledge had been really gained from the gradual spread of the Arab settlements down the southeast coast of Africa, during four centuries, from Gardafoy, the Cape of Spices, to the Channel of Mozambique, of Polo's account of Hindu customs, self-immolation and especially sati, of caste of the Brahminical, thread with one hundred and four beads by which to pray, of their etiquette in eating, drinking, birth, marriage, and death only the simple fact can be noticed here, that the first serious and direct Christian account of India, as of China, is also among the most accurate and well judged, and that both in what he says and what he leaves and said, Messer Marco is a true Herodotus of the Middle Ages, but not only does his account discover for Europe the extreme east and south of Asia, in his last chapter he returns to the Tartars, and after adding a few words on the nomads of the central plains, gives us our first, Latin, account of Siberia, where are found great white bears, 
black foxes, and sables, and where are great lakes, frozen except for a few months in the year, and crossed in sledges by the fur traders, beyond this the obscure land reaches to the furthest north, near which is Russia, where for the most of winter the sun appears not, and the air is thick and dark as betimes in the morning with us, where the men are pale and squat and live like the beasts, and where on the east men come again to the ocean sea and the islands of the falcons, the work of Marco Polo is the high water mark of medieval land travel, the extension of Christendom after him was mainly by the paths of the sea, the Roman missions to the Tartars and to Malabar, vigorously and stubbornly pressed as they were, ended in a relieved collapse, only by the revolt and resurrection of the Russian kingdom did the European world permanently and markedly expand on the side of Asia, but the crowd of missionaries followed the first traders to Cathay and to Mangi Friar Odoric, John de Monte Corvino, John de Cora, statesmen like Marignoli the papal legate, sight southeasters like Mandeville followed these, Bishop Jordan is of Capua worked for years in Coulomb near Cape Comor in C1425-35, the martyrdom of four friars on April 1, 1422, Batana, in India, became one of the great commemorations of the Latin Church, there seemed no cause why Christian missions which had won North and Northeast Europe should not win Central and Eastern Asia, whose people seemed as indifferent, as agnostic, as our own Norse or English pagans, the fame of the Latins, says Jordanus, about 1430 and he is borne out by Marino Sanuto, is greater in India than among ourselves, here our arrival is always looked for, and said to be predicted in their books, once gain Egypt and launch a fleet even of two galleys on the sea and the battle is won, as Egypt could not be gained by arms, it was turned by seamanship, before Polo returned from China, the coasting of Africa had begun, and Italian mariners were already in search of the longer way to the east, but there is no work of land travel after that of Messer Marco which really adds anything decisive to a European knowledge before the 15th century, the advance of trade intercourse between India and the Italian republics, the gradual liberation of Russia the use made of the caravan routes by some of the most active of the western clergy, are the chief notes of the time between the Polos and Prince Henry, and the flimsy fabrications of Mandeville, of all liars that type of the first magnitude, would be fairly left without a word even in a minute history of discovery, if he had not, like Tejas with Herodotus, won a hearing for himself and drawn men's minds away from the truth-telling original that he travestied, by the sheer force of impudence, the Indian travels of the Italian Niccolo Conti and the Russian merchant Athanasius Nikitin belong to a later time, to the age of the Portuguese voyages, they are not part of the preparation for our central subject, they are only a somewhat obscure parallel to that subject, for in the later Middle Ages the chief interest lies elsewhere, the expansion of Christendom in the 14th century, and still more in the 15th Prince Henry's own, is the story of the ventures and the successes, not so much of landsmen, as of mariners, chapter Ivy, maritime exploration, circa 1250-1410, Italian, Catalan, French, and English sailors were the foreigners of the Portuguese in the 14th century, and the latter years of the 13th, and as in land travel, so in maritime, the republics of Italy, Amalfi, Pisa, Venice, and Genoa, were the leaders and examples of Europe, just as the Italian Dante is the first great name in the new literatures of the West, so the Italian Dorias and Vivaldi and Volocelli are the first to take up again the old Greek and Phoenician enterprise in the ocean. Since Hanno of Carthage and Pharaoh Necos Tyrians, there had been nothing in the nature of a serious trial to find a way round Africa, 
and even the knowledge of the western or fortunate islands, so clear to Ptolemy and Strabo, had become dim. The Vikings and their crusader followers had done nothing south of Gibraltar Straits, but while the crusades were still dragging along a weary and hopeless warfare under St. Louis of France and Prince Edward of England, discovery began again in the Atlantic. In 1270 Lancelot Volocello found the Canaries, in 1281 or 1291 the Genoese galleys of Tedesio Doria and the Vivaldi, trying to go by sea to the ports of India to trade there, reached Gozera or Cape Non in Barbary, the southern Ultima Thule, and according to a later story, sailed the Sea of Ginoia Guinea to a city of Ethiopia, where even legend lost sight of them, for in 1312 nothing more had been heard. From the frequent and emphatic references to this attempt in the literature of the later Middle Ages, it is clear that the daring Genoese drew upon themselves the attention of the learned and mercantile worlds, as much as one would naturally expect, for these men are the pioneers of Christian explorations in the southern world the precursors of all the ocean voyages that led to the discoveries of Prince Henry, Diegema, Columbus, and Magellan, the first who directly challenged the disheartening theories of geographers, such as Ptolemy the inaction and traditionalism of the Arabs, and the elaborate falsities of storytellers, who, in the absence of real knowledge, had a grand opening for terrible fairy tales, the first age, if so it may be called, of South Atlantic and African voyages was purely Italian, the second was chiefly marked by the efforts of the Spanish states to equip fleets and send out explorers under Genoese captains, in 1317 the Genoese Emmanuel Pesenha became Admiral of Portugal, in 1341 three ships manned by Portuguese and other Spaniards, with some Italians put out from Lisbon in search of Malocelos, rediscovered islands, granted by the Pope to Don Luis of Spain in a bull of November 15, 1334, and now described, from the original letters of Florentine merchants and partners in the venture of 1341, by Boccaccio. Land was found on the fifth day after leaving the Tagus, July 1st, the fleet stayed till November and then brought back for natives and products of the islands. The chief pilot thought these were near 900 miles from Seville, and we may fully suppose that the archipelago of Fertin, now first explored and described, represents the fortunate islands of Greek geography, the Canaries of modern maps, and that the five chief islands with their naked but not quite savage people, with excellent wood houses, and flocks of goats, palms, and figures gardens and corn patches, Rocky mountains and pine forests, were our pharaoh, Palma, Gomera, Grand Canary, and Tenerife. The last they took to be 30,000 feet high, with its white scarped sides looking like a fortress, but terrified at signs of enchantment they did not dare to land, and returned to Spain, leaving the islands of the rediscovered to be visited as a convenient slave depot by merchants and pirates from the peninsula till the Norman conquest of Bentoncourt in 1402. The voyage of 1341 gained much by attempting little, the Catalan voyage of 1346, which followed close upon it, was something of a return to the wilder and larger schemes of the first Genoese. On August 10, 1346, James Ferrer left Majorca to go to the River of Gold, but of the said galley, says the Catalan map of 1375, no news has since been heard, on the same map, however. The explorer's boat is sketched off the Cape Finisterre of West Africa, and their island after all, some ground for supposing this to be nothing more than a mercantile venture to the Gold Coast of Guinea, which was becoming known to the traders of Nismes, Marseille, and the Christian Mediterranean by the caravan traffic across the Sahara, even Prince Henry began in the same way, 
Guinea was his halfway house former India. About the same date c. 1450 as the Catalan voyage is the book of the Spanish friar, of the voyage south to the river of gold, which gives a more than half fabulous story of travel, first by sea beyond Capes Non and Bajadar, then by land across the heart of Africa to the mountains of the moon, the city of Meli, where dwelt Priester John, and the Euphrates, which comes from the terrestrial paradise, where behind some real notes of Barbary coasting, perhaps gained from the Catalans of 1446. There is little but a confused transcript of a dry-sized geography, yet this was one of the books which helped to fix the notion of a double Nile, northern and western, a Nile of Egypt and a Nile of the Blacks, with a common source in the mountains of the moon, upon the Christian science of the time, as the Arab geographers had fixed it upon Islam. The next piece of Atlantic exploration was a romantic accident, in the reign of Edward II. An Englishman named Robert Machine eloped with Infet from Bristol C. 1470, was driven from the coast of France by a northeast wind, and after 13 days sighted an island, Madeira, where he landed, his ship was swept away by the storm, his mistress died of terror and exhaustion, and five days after Machine was laid beside her by his men, who had saved the ship's boat and now ran her upon the African coast, they were enslaved, like other Christian captives of the Barbary Corsairs. But in 1416 a fellow prisoner, one Morales of Seville, an old pilot, was ransomed with others and sent back to Spain. On his way Morales was captured by a Portuguese captain, Zarco, the servant of Prince Henry, the rediscoverer of Madeira, and through this the full story of Machine and his island, came to be known in the court of the navigator prince, who promptly made his gain of the new knowledge a lasting one, by the voyage of Zarco in 1420. Last among the immediate predecessors of Prince Henry Seaman come the French. In the 17th century it was claimed, on newly found evidence, that between 1364 and 1410 the men of Dieppe and Rouen opened a regular trade in gold, ivory, and Malaguet pepper with the coast of Guinea, and built stations at Petit Paris, Petit Dieppe, and La Mine, which they named from the precious metal found there, but all this is more than doubtful and the genuine Norman voyage of de Bencourt in 1402 shows us nothing but the Canaries and the northwest coast of Morocco, Cape Non, or Cape Bajadar, was still the European furthest on the African coast. The French seigneur was stirred up to attack the fortunate islands by to advance, first in 1382 when Lopez, a captain of Seville sailing to Galicia, was driven by a tempest to Grand Canary and lived among the natives seven years till he and his men were denounced for riding home and inviting rescue. To stop this intrigue they, the, thirteen Christian brothers, whose testament reached Betancourt twelve years later, were all massacred. News of this and of the voyage of a Spaniard named Bicara to the same islands at the same time, reached Rochelle about 1400, and found several French adventurers ready for a trial. The chief of these, Jean de Betancourt, Lord of Grainville, and Gadefer de La Salle, a needy knight, started in July, 1402 to conquer in the sea a new kingdom for themselves, though the leaders quarreled and Grand Canary beat off all attacks. The enterprise was successful in the main, and several of the islands became Christian colonies, a first step towards the colonial empires of the great European expansion, as the record of Betancourt's chaplains is the first chapter of modern colonial history, but nothing is clearer in this tract than its limitations. The French colonists as late as 1425 seem to know nothing of the African coast beyond Cape Bajadar, they look upon the Canaries rather as an extension of Spain and of Europe than as the beginning of a new world, they are anxious to get to the river of gold and traffic there, 
but they do not know the way. Save by report, the Betancourt had been to Gajadar himself, and if things in that country are such as they are described in the book of the Spanish friar, he meant to open a way to the river of gold, for, the friar says, it is only 150 leagues from Cape Gajadar, and the map proves the same which is only a three days voyage for sailing boats whereby access would be gained to the land of Priester John, whence come so many riches, but as yet our Normans are only eager to know the state of the neighboring countries, both islands and terra firma, they do not know the coast beyond the utmost Cape of Gajadar which had taken the place of the first Arab Finisterre, Cape Non, Nun, or Nam, as the limit of navigation, footnote 28, Cape Non Fish Cape, but Latini took it as not, from the fact that beyond it there is no return possible, and so the Rhine, who pass Cape Non must turn again, or else be gone, lit, or not, I will not be able to return, we are now at the very time of Prince Henry himself, his first voyage was in 1412, the Betancourt died in 1425, and it is quite needless to follow out at length the stories, however interesting, of sporadic navigation in other parts of the European seas. Between 1380-95 the Venetians Eni sailed in the service of Henry Sinclair, Earl of the Orkneys, to Greenland, and brought back Fisher stories, which read like those of Central America, of its man-eating caribs and splendid barbarism, somewhat earlier, about 1349. If our bardson of Norway paid one of the last of Christian visits to the Arctic colonies of Greenland, the legacy of the 11th century, now sinking into a ruin, but neither of these voyages gives us any new knowledge of the unknown which was now being pierced, not from the north and east, but from the south and west, both in land travel and sea voyages we have traced the progress of western exploration and discovery up to its hero, the real central figure both in the history of Portugal and of the European expansion. A little remains to be said on the other lines of preparation for his work in scientific theory and national development from the age of the Crusades. Chapter V Geographical Science in Christendom from the First Crusades, circa 1114-60, before the Crusades of the 11th and 12th centuries. The scientific geography of Christendom, as we have seen, was mainly a borrowed thing, from the 9th century to the time of the medieval and Christian Renaissance, in the 11th, 12th and 13th centuries, the Arabs were the recognized heirs of Greek science, and what Franks or Latins knew of Ptolemy or Strabo was either learned or corrected in the schools of Cordova and Baghdad, but when the Northmen and the Holy War with Islam had once thoroughly aroused the practical energies of Christendom, it began to expand in mind as well as in empire, and in the time of Prince Henry, in the 15th century, a Portuguese could say, our discoveries of coasts and islands and mainland were not made without foresight and knowledge, for our sailors went out very well taught, and furnished with instruments and rules of astrology and geometry, things which all mariners and map makers must know, in fact, compass, astrolabe, timepiece, and charts, were all in use on the Mediterranean about 1400, just as they were to be found among the Arab traders of the Indian Ocean. In this section it will be enough to glance hastily at the later and growingly independent science of Christendom, from the time that it ceased merely to follow the lead of Islam, and thought and even invented for itself. In another chapter we have seen something of the lasting and penetrating influence of Greek and Muslim and Hindu tradition upon the Western thought, which has conquered by absorbing all its rivals, 
We must not forget that some original self-reliant work in geographical theory not less than in practical exploration is absolutely needed to explain the very fact of Prince Henry and his life a student's life, far more even than a statesman's, and after all, the invention of instruments, the drawing of maps and globes, the reckoning of distances, is not less practical than the most daring and successful travel, for navigation, the first and prime demand is a means of safety some power of knowing where you stand and where to go, such as was given to sailors by the use of the magnet, prima that ignores you some magnetes amalfis, says Beccadelli of Palermo, but the earliest mention of the black ugly stone in the west is traced to an Englishman, Alexander Neckham, a monk of St. Albans, writing about 1180 on the natures of things, tells us of it as commonly used by sailors, not merely as the secret of the learned, when they cannot see the sun clearly in cloudy weather, or at night, and cannot tell which way their prow is tending, they put a needle above a magnet which revolves till its point looks north and then stops. So the satirist, Guido de Provence, in his Bible of about 1210, wishes the Pope were as safe a point to steer by in faith as the North Star in sailing, which mariners can keep ahead of them, without sight of it, only by the wanding of a needle floating on a straw in water, once touched by the magnet. It might be supposed from this not merely that the magnet was in use at the end of the 12th century, but that it had been known to a few savants much earlier, yet when Dante's tutor, Brunetto Latini, visits Roger Bacon at Oxford about 1258, and is shown the black stone, he speaks of it as new and wonderful, but certain, if used, to awake suspicion of magic, it has the power of drawing iron to it, and if a needle be rubbed upon it and fastened to a straw so as to swim upon water, the needle will instantly turn towards the pole star, but no master mariner could use this, nor would the sailors venture themselves to see under his command if he took an instrument so like one of infernal make, it was possibly after this that the share of Amalfi came in, it may have been Flavio Georgia, or some other citizen of that earliest commercial republic of the Middle Ages, which filled up so large a part of the gap between two great ages of progress, who fitted the magnet into a box, and by connecting it with the compass card, made it generally and easily available. This it certainly was before Prince Henry's earliest voyages, where he takes its use for granted even by merchant coasters, who, beyond hugging the shore, know nothing of chart or needle. In any case it would seem that prejudice was broken down, and the mariner's compass taken into favor, at least by Italian seamen and their Spanish apprentices, in the early years of the 14th century, or the last years of the 13th and that when the Doria set out for India by the Ocean Way in 1291, and the Lisbon fleet sailed for the Western Islands in 1341, they had some sort of natural guide with them, besides the stories of travelers and their own imaginings. About the same time c. 1450 mathematics and astronomy began to be studied in Portugal, and two of Henry's brothers, King, 